The following audio is a recording from Holy Cross Church in Tucson, Arizona. For more audio and information, please visit HolyCrossTucson.com. Be subject for the Lord's sake to every human institution, whether it be to the emperor as supreme or to governors as sent by him to punish those who do evil and to praise those who do good. For this is the will of God, that by doing good you should put to silence the ignorance of foolish people. Live as people who are free, not using your freedom as a cover-up for evil, but living as servants of God. Honor everyone. Love the brotherhood. Fear God. Honor the emperor. Well, we are in, uh, we begin a little series or a little segment in this passage of 1 Peter. For several weeks already, we've been uh, teaching verse by verse through the book of 1 Peter. And today we begin a little section in his letter that addresses a very important idea of the Christian faith, a very important theme throughout Scripture that will take us about four weeks to complete, and it is the biblical idea of submission. This week we look at submission to authority. Next week we look at submission to our earthly authority and earthly bosses in our life, and, and then for two weeks after that we're looking at submission in the marriage relationship between husband and wife. I can already tell how excited you guys are. Because why are you excited? Because if there is one single word that makes everyone happy, it's the word submit. Am I right? No, you don't think so? It's a dirty word. It can be seen as a dirty word for many of us. I think of my dog, Maggie, the three and a half pound Yorkie, full grown. There's a little dog, right? She's very submissive. She has a very submissive temperament. We've been told this. We took her to a two-month behavioral training class when we got her, when she was just a puppy. She was full-grown at three and a half pounds at that time. And here in the class, there's little Maggie, three and a half pounds, and a 60-pound Mastiff that was just about four or five months old. Just aggressively and eagerly and cheerfully saying hello to our dog and running up to her. And my dog rolls over on her back, and pees on herself. And I'm thinking, what is happening? Why is she doing this? And the trainer says, this is her posture of submission. She's submitting. This is her temperament. She is is letting the other dog know that I am in submission to you. Submission in in the modern culture like this, it's seen as as a bad thing, as a very negative thing. It means repression. It means control. It means abuse. We think that uh, submission means inequality. There are three institutions of God that he has given to us on earth that are created, which we should see all of life through. These these spheres of life that are ultimate importance in our life. It is the sphere of the family. It is the sphere of the church. And it is the sphere of the government. And in scripture, in all three of these primary spheres in life in which we live, we are commanded to submit. Wives submit to their husbands. God's people submit to their leaders in the church. And citizens submit to their government who has authority over them. But in every instance, we are to do so as an expression of our allegiance to the Lord. And so for many of us, it's really fair to say that we see submission in, a, in the wrong way. We see it uh, through a poor understanding 
of biblical submission. We don't understand it well. We see it like, yeah, that's what submission is. It's like what your dog did, and I won't do that. I'm not going to live in that kind of life. I will not be controlled. I will not be uh, in a relationship where I'm seen as, a, as, an, as, as not equal. We think of submission, we think of a husband beating their wife and controlling their wife with harshness. We think of a dictator who has this very wicked regime over his people. We think of a dog peeing on herself in submission when she's threatened. But submission in the biblical worldview comes out of the very heart of who Jesus is in relationship to his Father. Jesus serves as the perfect example of good submission, beautiful, wholesome, right and true submission. Praying on the eve of his crucifixion, Jesus says, yet not my will, but your will be done, as he's talking to the Father. He says, not my will, but your will. I submit to what you have for me. Submission is part of the Christian life. No one is free from authority. This is what the Bible aims to convince us of, that it is part of the Christian life. No one is free from authority. The word here is translated as be subject. It means to be subject means to willingly arrange and order your life under the authority and guidance of another. We will look at some of the wisdom in exercising our submission in a moment. But first, he makes the point, and the point, the point is made for us. What does, he says, he says, biblical submission is not, the response, is not only the responsibility of every Christian, but biblical submission gives power to our positive witness of Christ. This is how Peter says it in verse 15. For this is the will of God, that by doing good, submitting to governing authority, you should put to silence the ignorance of foolish people. It comes down to a challenge like this, and as he makes the point, and then he's going to lead us in wisdom and how to do that. Do you believe that God will be glorified and people will be introduced to the hope of the gospel that saves us from our sins and offers us forgiveness by Christians avoiding sinful desires and living their lives in a beautiful way. See, this is the real challenge. Do you believe that the world can actually change, that sinners will come to know the gospel through you obeying God and living life in a beautiful way? The biblical answer is yes. This is what God is getting at. Now, I'm not saying that people find salvation through anything than a trust in the gospel, than a trust in the sacrifice of Christ for our sins. I'm not saying that people find salvation through something else, but I'm saying that God is pleased in such a beautiful way that is often neglected and misunderstood by the church that he's pleased to use the obedient and beautiful lives of Christians to reveal the gospel to people to introduce people to the truth, to bring people into relationship with Him, to advance the gospel purpose in the lives of sinners. Here is the premise of the whole letter. Christians make a difference in the world by being different from this world. They don't make a difference by being the same. God has established the church as an alternate, alternate society, an alternative society, not to compete or to copy the world and what the world is doing, but to be a refreshing alternative to it. And therefore, one of the primary ways we manifest our gospel hope is through a posture of submission in those three spheres. 
in marriage, in the church, and in the government to our governing authorities. And today we look at just this, the governing authorities. We give up as Christians people who, we give up striving for power. We give up the holding tight to our power. We submit, we be subject to. Here's a quote from Scott Sauls who wrote a book called Jesus Outside the Lines. He says, when this happens, kings and presidents and governors and mayors and law enforcement officers and park officials and other public servants will take notice. Those in authority will begin to see Christians as an asset to society. They will recognize and appreciate that Christians, as citizens first and foremost of God's kingdom, value leaving the world in a better shape than we found it. God's will is that by doing this kind of good in our life, you will generate a positive witness, a positive example for the gospel. It is a form of evangelism. It is much broader than just this, but it is not less than this. Our submission and obedience to those who are in authority over us is an act of evangelism. It is a very, very, very good thing when it is rightly understood and rightly practiced. And so today I'm going to break, we're going to break the two rules of a, of a, of a great family meeting, because that's what this is. And the, the rule, the two rules of a great family meeting are don't talk about politics, don't talk about religion. I'm doing both today. <laughs> are you good with that? Here we go. How does the Christian have a biblical posture in politics and government in our role engaged in this world as Christians first and foremost with our allegiance to Jesus engaged in the world around us? First thing that we get into is one is understand your highest allegiance. When it comes to politics and government and the democratic process, Christians often begin with the wrong question. Christians often begin with this question. Well, politically speaking, which party would Jesus favor more? Republican or Democrat? Which one, which side would he be on? And you know what Jesus would say to that question? No. I don't know what he would say, actually, to that specific question, but consider this. Consider Joshua, the story in the Old Testament. Joshua was God's military leader, the military commander of God's army, God's people in the Old Testament. And he's headed into battle, and he's about to take uh, Jericho. And in Joshua 5, starting in verse 13, it says, When Joshua was by Jericho, he lifted up his eyes and looked, and behold, a man was standing before him, and his sword was drawn in his hand. And Joshua went to him and said to him, Are you for us or for our adversaries? So he's basically saying, are you, are you against us or are you with us? And he said to him, no, but I am the commander of the army of the Lord. Now I have come. And Joshua fell on his face to the earth and worshiped and said to him, what does the Lord say to his servant? And the commander of the Lord's army said to Joshua, take off your sandals from your feet for the place where you are standing is holy. And Joshua did so. This is an appropriate question not only for politics but for everything in life what side is God on where does God's allegiance lie where what is his agenda which agenda is God's 
God's allegiance is rightly aimed and rightly positioned at the most wonderful, most glorious, most perfect, most good, most beautiful, most just, and most holy being in all of creation. Himself. Who is Jesus for? Ultimately and supremely for Himself. God is the... This is interesting, isn't it? Because if any... Any one of us, we are commanded actually not to be that way in our life. We're, we're, not, we're commanded not to seek our own glory. But when God does it, he's the only one who can. When he does it, he's actually, doing, he's actually right. He's actually being just. You see, God is the only being in all creation that when he brags about himself, he's not exaggerating. See, when you and I talk about ourselves and talk about our credentials and we brag... We're lying to some extent. We're exaggerating. We're inflating it. But God, it is impossible for God to exaggerate who he is. It's impossible for him to brag in a way that is a misrepresentation of who he really is. I told you last week that the Bible will never tell us how to live without first giving us a theological reason for it. So we are told to submit to our governing authorities What is the theological reason? Why should we do this? And Peter tells us, he says, for the Lord's sake. Live your life in this way, in submission to those who govern over you, who are authority over you. Why? For what? To what end? For what motivation? For the Lord's sake. Our submission to an earthly authority, in this case the government, federal and local, should be to imitate our submission to Jesus Christ. And therefore we glorify him with our life. Whose cause do you ultimately fight for? Lord, are you for my political party or for theirs? Are you for their values or for mine? And and the Lord would respond, no. A pastor I deeply respect uh, said to one of his protégés, and I read this, he said, the longer it takes for people to figure out where you stand on politics, in all likelihood, the more faithful you are preaching Jesus. Now, I don't know how you feel about that, and I don't really know how I feel about that entirely, so I'm just going to show you something. I'm just going to show you my, uh, my voter registration card. So I don't know how I feel about this, not letting people know where you stand politically, but uh, where it says party. Oh, you here. Can you see it? Can you see what party I am? No? I don't know. It says pizza. So anyway. <clears throat> You see, what, thanks for that chuckle, who is God for? Who is Jesus for? Where would he line up? See, there's a whole other thing. He wants, he is for himself. And so when we submit to government for the Lord's sake, we are actually submitting to the Lord. We are pursuing him. We are figuring out what do you love? What do you hate? What do you value? What pleases you? Because I want to glorify you in my life. And the best way that I can do that is by aligning my heart, my convictions with your character, your nature. And then hearing this then leads us to the right place. Because when we talk to God about, well, what does God desire? And he says, no, then it causes us to say, well, then, well, then Lord, what pleases you? If you are for yourself, and then how, what do you desire so that I may submit my life to you? So that I may engage in culture in a way that glorifies you, so that I may vote in a way that glorifies you, so that I may value 
what sides of the policies are glorifying to you. So let me know about who you are. Let me pursue you, Jesus. So I may submit my life to yours and glorify you through my obedience in my actions and in my attitudes. Here's the tension that's held throughout the book of 1 Peter and frankly all throughout Scripture. The tension is held throughout this whole letter that we were never really given permission to let go of completely. And here's the tension. The tension looks like this. How do we excel at the good values of this society? How do we excel at being a good citizen? Excelling at obedience to those who govern us without compromising our allegiance to Jesus. That's the tension that we wrestle with. Because there is a time to not submit. There is a time to, to not obey our governing authorities. Do you know where your allegiance is with Jesus so well that when that time comes, you know when to rebel? Because there are good times to rebel against authority. Do you know when that time is? Are you convinced so much in your heart and captivated by the truth of the gospel and Christ and his nature and character that you know when to depart from something the world is doing because it does not conform, it isn't in harmony to the law of Christ and the word of God. Here are a couple examples where we see, one biblical and one culturally, where we see that it's actually good to rebel and to break the law. You know, Peter in Acts chapter 4 was commanded, Peter and John were commanded to not preach the gospel. First, Jesus came to them and said, preach the gospel, go out and preach the gospel. And the Jewish governing authority, who they were accountable to, these were their leaders. And they arrested them and commanded them to not preach the gospel. They were breaking the law, and they were arrested and imprisoned. And Peter replied, we must obey God rather than man. And so God requires Christians to obey the government if obedience would mean, I'm sorry, to disobey the government if obedience would mean directly disobey God. We are given permission in the scripture that we serve our allegiance is primarily to God, that we should disobey the law of those who govern over us if it causes us to disobey God's commands. Here's a practical way that we've seen this in our culture. It was 1963. Martin Luther King is arrested. He's imprisoned during a peaceful protest, protesting the segregation laws in Alabama. Many Christians rebuked him and said, how could you, a pastor yourself and a leader in the Christian evangelical community, how could you say, how can you preach our submission to authority and obedience to the law and yet break the law yourself? And Martin Luther King, in this famous letter to, in a Birmingham jail, he wrote to these pastors and said, there are just laws and there are unjust laws. A just law is a law that squares with the, with the moral and biblical word of God that is in harmony with the Word of God, and any law that is created that is not in harmony with the Word of God is an unjust law, and therefore we have an obligation as God's people to rebel against that law. And it's such a good word for us today. We see there is sacrifice that we have this obligation. Not only is it okay, but we are compelled to uphold God's law and never to obey a law that does not square with God's commands to us. So the Christian is to obey authority unless it calls us to sin. Where is our allegiance, our primary allegiance? Whenever we think about our engagement in culture, in politics, in government, we must first realize that our primary allegiance is to Jesus Christ. 
Second is to recognize God's created design. It says this is, as a human institution, we are sub, be subject to every human institution, every institution that's ordained for people by God. There's an order of things founded by God for, the, the, for our human flourishing and the order of, of, of human life. The office of the president exists as a manifestation of God's sovereign, ultimate guiding and governing over his creation. The office of governor and local leaders is a, a, a manifestation of God's loving care for his creation. For this reason, we don't need to ever shy away from being passionate patriots. There should be this genuine patriotism which seek to promote the good of our country, the good of our neighbors, the good of our nation, because in it we see that God has established a nation where its leaders promote a well-being where the citizens are loved and protected and cared for and defended. So we see that God has established his order. He has established a nation. He has put in place authority of people, human authorities, to order, to have an orderly functioning of our daily life. And it pleases him and honors him when we submit, we're subject to their governing authority in our life. Think of every human institution. Your relationship between parents and children. It's a human institution of of governing authority, in a sense. Think of pastors and church members. Think of the school principal and the pupils. Think about the HOA, the Homeowners Association board, and its neighbors, right? No. I got a word word for you. The HOA exists as a manifestation of God's sovereign, ultimate guiding, sustaining of, and governing of all of his creation. I know. I know, it hurts. Now, listen, I recently had, a, had an HOA experience, right? So we've been uh, blessed enough and, and fortunate enough to have a, we have a pool in our backyard, and we drained it, right, to clean it. It's a mess, and we were cleaning it, getting ready for the summer. So we drained it, okay? And so we have... Our backyard, we have a wall 10 feet away from the pool or whatever. 15 feet away, we have a, a wall. And right on the other side of that wall is a drain, is a storm drain. And this is the best place to drain the pool. And so we drain the pool in that way, and we pour all the water in the back again, over this wall and into the storm drain that is right there. And we get a call the next morning from the HOA and say, you cannot do that. Because our bylaws say, or our constitution says, that all pools must be drained to the front of the street. So here, I want you to paint this picture. The front of the street is 100 feet away. And that water goes and it drains into the same storm drain that goes behind our house. And so we thought, let's bypass that, that you know, these 100 yards of, of traveling that the water will do and just put it in the place that it will end up in the first place. But they said that's breaking the law. That's breaking their policy. That's breaking their rules. Okay? Was I annoyed at their pettiness? Yes. Do I believe that there was a better way to do it? I sure did. Did I believe in this case, in this isolated case, that their policy was foolish? I do. But God is honored by my submission to that earthly authority, for they are a manifestation of his rule over creation. 
And so over the phone, I, by God's grace, I had an, I don't know, maybe it was because I was, it was the sun was shining and I'm feeling it, the pool is clean and I'm filling it up that I was happy. And when I'm talking to them on the phone, I had the energy to say, I'm sorry, I didn't know of this rule. Um, it seemed like the right thing to do at the time, but next time we'll be sure to drain it to the front of the house. And then I click and I say, no. <laughs> This is just a very practical example of how God uses human authority to manifest his rule over creation. And it honors God. It honors God when we obey them, even if we disagree. Nothing in God's word has commanded me to drain my pool to the back of the house. So I am free then and should be free to obey them even if I disagree. Romans 13, 1 says, Let every person be subject to the governing authorities, for there is no authority except from God. And those that exist have been instituted by God. So at the very least, we recognize that our willing ordering of our lives, our subjection and submission to them, to police officers, to our mayor, to our governor, to our president, is a demonstration of our obedience to Jesus and our submission to God's created order. God, in your wisdom, this is how you have ordered life. This is how you've ordered our nation and I will submit to how you have ordered it. So next, Peter goes to where it may be the most applicable to his readers and the most applicable to us. How do we live this out? And Peter says, exercise then your freedom. Know where your allegiance lies. Ultimately, it's in Christ. Know that God's created order and how he has ordained things to be, that we have a human authority and government in our life, and it is a manifestation of God's rule. And so our obedience and subjection and submission to them is actually a demonstration of our obedience to God himself. How do we live this out? Exercise your freedom. Peter says we are free. Christians, you are free. You can see how this might be confusing for the Christian in the time. Peter has spoken at great length about the Christians being exiles and strangers and citizens of a heavenly kingdom Peter's saying to them, if you've been with us in previous sermons, he's saying, you're not from here. Your allegiance is somewhere else. And he might anticipate the Christian then saying, well, man, I'm free. I'm not bound to these laws. I'm bound to the law of God. I'm liberated from the law. I'm liberated by Jesus. I will not be a slave to human authority. And Peter says, yes, 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 you're right, you're right but he wants to change how we think about freedom. He says, you know, no one, no one is absolutely free. There is no one that is absolutely free. Everyone submits to somebody or something. And look at verse 16 just by itself. It looks like there could be a contradiction of ideas. Live as free people who are free. And then look at the the end of that verse. But living as servants of God. So Peter is saying, live as free people, live as God's slaves. Be free, be a slave, be a bondservant, be bound. And so we see this kind of seemingly contradiction, this paradox that we are called to be free, we're called to live as free, and yet he's recognizing that no one is ultimately free. We serve and submit to someone. All of us do. The Bible says there's no such thing as total freedom. 
Everyone is a slave to someone or something. You can be a slave to yourself, to your ego, to your perception of yourself, or you can be a slave to God and to his righteousness. That's what the Bible tells us. I had a friend who had recently become homeless, and talking with him, and we, we met up uh, face-to-face, and, and he was surprisingly happy. I mean, I didn't expect it. I, I, I imagined he would be downcast and depressed and, and really just down on his luck. <clears throat> he's homeless. He's living on the streets. And I say, how is it going? How are you doing? He says, I'm doing really well. And I thought, how are you really doing? I, I heard you're living on the streets now. You don't have a home. You don't have a, a roof over your head. And he replied in a way that I didn't expect. He said, it's really great. Free rent. <laughs> I thought, well, that's an interesting way to think about it, buddy. You see, but, yeah, you, you free rent. There's freedom. He's free. He's unshackled by the burdens of a mortgage and by having to pay somebody. But it's like, but you're not free. This freedom costs you. This freedom has restrictions. You can't host a party. You cannot, you cannot have the comfort and warmth of a, of, a, of, of a climate control. You cannot have, there's so many things. So the freedom that you have comes with restriction. Everyone's freedom has restriction. That's what Peter is saying. So what do our freedoms, our freedom in Christ, even our freedom in Christ, has restriction? There are always restrictions with freedom. If God is our Lord, we are free. But we are set free to a relationship with God that has restrictions. We are free, but now we are to use our freedoms for the will of God. How does this relate to the Christian and government? A lot, actually. The Christian finds him or herself in a privileged state before God. We are free from the, the impossible obligation of earning God's love and favor and through perfect obedience. We are, we are free from guilt. We are free from the ruling power of sin in our life. We are free as children that have an inheritance that will never fade away. We are free from powers both uh, earthly and supernatural. We belong to God. And now we should use our freedom for the will of God. And what is God's will? Peter tells us. There's one negative uh, and four positive. First, the negative is this. Don't abuse your freedom by making excuses for your lack of submission. Don't abuse your freedom. Freedom can be abused. To put it simply, Christians are not free to do wrong. You are free in Christ, but you are not free to do wrong. Freedom must result in great joy in doing right, in great joy in obedience to the authority God has placed in our life. Probably the most, or possibly the most uh, common way we abuse freedom is like this. We say, well, that person God has put in my life to rule over me is incompetent. So I will not submit to them. I will not submit to that person. They're foolish. We see this in the home. I know that the Bible calls me as a spouse, my wife, to humbly submit to my husband as a spiritual leader in our home, but he doesn't lead us the way that he should. He doesn't know how, so I cannot submit to that foolish leadership. I have to take things into my own hands. We see this in the workplace. My boss is a buffoon or use another word, I will not listen to him. I cannot listen to him. He doesn't know what he's doing. We see this in government. That's not my president. I didn't vote for him. 
His policies are, 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 I am not going to submit, I'm not going to honor, I'm not going to follow what he's doing. He's not leading according to my convictions for how this country should be led, so I cannot submit to his leadership. We see so many areas of ways that we can say, but I don't like the freedom that I have and how it's being, how it's being uh, the authority, how it's been ruling over me, and so I am going to do wrong. And we use that as an excuse. So Peter then says, well, here's four positive. That's something we don't abuse our freedom, but here are the positive things that we should do. This is where we'll wrap it up. He says, honor everyone. Treat everyone with a respect that they deserve by being made in the image of God. It is very easy to treat politicians and lawmakers and city council members as faceless and soulless people, right? (laughs) It is so easy to think of them as people that do not have a soul, that do not have a heart, that do not have feelings, that do not believe, that do not care. We see them as, as, as sometimes as just faceless people out in the crowd, and it's very easy to dishonor them. They bear the image of God, and therefore they have priceless value and dignity, even if they disagree with you, even if they are wicked in your eyes or in God's eyes. If we hate Here's, a, here's, a, here's an example. We do it in many ways. If we hate abortion because the unborn child is a person who is made in the image of God with dignity and value, deserving of our protection, yet hate those who support uh, the pro-abortion policies, then we don't really understand the sanctity of human life. Why should we honor them? Why is there value? Because God has given it to them. Why does an unborn child have dignity and value and is deserving of our ultimate protection? Because God has given them value. From the unborn to the elderly to the disabled to the needy, all of human life, honor everyone. And so our motivation and honor everyone, this is where Peter starts, honor. Have this attitude and mind among yourselves as you think about people in authority over to you, these are, these are people that are made in the image of God, that have dignity and value. Treat them as you talk about them, as you submit to them in such a way. Second, love the brotherhood. We are to love the fellowship of God's people. We are to love those in the family of God, family of faith, with a, a, a unique kind of affection and a love and sacrifice, giving aid wherever we are able. We should extend a certain kind of higher obligation to those within the family of God in a special way that we do, uh, than we do for anyone else. Fear God. This is an even higher obligation. We go from honoring everyone to loving the brotherhood to fearing God. It's the highest obligation that we have. We are not only meant to honor and to love God, but we are to fear Him with a reverent and affectionate honor in our whole life. And lastly, honor the emperor. Peter says, honor the emperor who is supreme. At this time, this letter was written. This is some helpful context. The time this letter was written, the emperor was one of the most evil men who has ever lived. That's not an exaggeration. His name was Nero. He murdered his own mother. 
Some believe he was even responsible for the burning of Rome itself to make way for his own agenda, but instead blamed it on Christians and had them tortured and killed. It was the Roman government at the time of this letter who would say to nurses who attended the birth of children, if it's a girl, throw it away. This is Nero. And it is Peter himself who is eventually crucified and killed under the regime of Nero. And Peter says, even he requires our respect. That's crazy. You got it wrong, Peter. Not not him. I mean, come on. He killed you. This is the word of God. Is Peter right or is he out of our mind? Is he out of his mind? Even he, at the very least, is deserving of our honor and respect because God placed him there. There are wicked leaders. There are evil people. There are people who will bear the brunt of God's wrath and anger. But that belongs to God. Honor President Obama, even if you disagree with him. Respect him as a man who was made in the image of God and has value and dignity. I don't know who's going to be president next. Honor Donald Trump. Now, this is where I'm supposed to say, just kidding, you know. No. Honor Hillary Clinton. Honor Ted Cruz. Are you guys getting nauseous yet? You know, honor whoever it's going to be. Maybe someone you're excited about. Maybe someone you're not excited about. If our, here's, here's where we engage. Here's where the, God has, has placed leaders. He has, he has uh, established an order in our nation where we are in a very privileged state. If the, and it's different for every nation. I think this, this passage, uh, the interpretation is the same wherever you go. Whatever nation, whatever kind of government has been established is the same. But our application and how we engage in this is unique to us. If the Constitution tells us that we have a right and a duty to choose our leaders, then we should examine our leaders carefully. We should examine their character. We should look at the content of their policies. And after doing this, we should come to a conclusion where we may need to reject someone's policies and we should not vote for them or vote them out of office or we should embrace them and vote for them. If we, by our Constitution, and God has ordered it in the United States, that we have the privilege and duty to, to choose our leaders, then we should be so passionately and actively engaged in that process in a way that will most glorify God and love our neighbor. By examining carefully the policies and character of the people who are running. I can't tell you how many times, with Christian or non-Christian, I sit at a coffee shop, and obviously now in an election year, people talking about politics. I can't tell you. It's like eight out of ten times. Where the people say, well, so who are you going to vote for? Oh, I don't know, that one, you know, the such and such person. I'm not really sure. I don't know their name, but, you know, I don't really know what, what it's about, but that's who I'm voting for. Christians do it with the Republicans. Democrats do it. Without a thoughtful, you know, who's the vice president right now? Anybody know? I'm just kidding. Be involved. 
You know, this isn't a political soapbox. I feel like this is actually our submission to God's word as people that have been given the privilege to obey our authority and to honor our authority by being a part of the process that we have a privilege to be a part of. And by doing so, we should do it with a, a, a Godward and God-honoring and neighbor-loving motivation. To many people, even Christians, too many people take pleasure in the harshest criticism of our leaders. And it shouldn't be so. We're in an election year, and even if we disapprove of a president's goals or methods, even if our government is corrupt, we should respect the people that God has placed in leadership. At a minimum, we vote in elections, we carefully consider the candidates and the issues, and we compare them to God's will. Where does our ultimate freedom come from? It comes from trusting God and submitting to his providence. What does that mean? Ultimately, it means that God is providentially at work through the authorities in our life. It means that God is ultimately in charge by his sovereign love and care in the lives of the people that are in authority over us. They are human agents by whom God is fulfilling his good purposes for us. We are called first to submit our lives to God and the one whom has set us free from sin so that we could joyfully submit our lives back to him through our obedience to those he's placed in our life. I hope that this is, you're thinking, well, you didn't tell us, you didn't tell us who to vote for. Here, I'll tell you. Just here, I'll tell you what. Here, I'll put it right here. You can come see. No, I'm just kidding. <laughs> I hope that what this has done is help give us a, a change in how we think about authority over us, whether we agree or disagree, that God has ordained it. And yet we are willful participants in this process. And our allegiance is ultimately to God. Not to a person, not to a policy, but yet we are to use our freedom to honor everyone. And this has to do with what candidate would honor, what has this character and policies that are most loving of people, that are most honoring to God's will, that are most uh, fighting for the justice and good of others. I don't, and I honestly, like, I don't really care who you vote for. I feel actually really, like, free. Like, I, it doesn't really, it's okay. Like, I don't, it doesn't, if you vote for someone different from me or if you don't vote at all, like, that's okay. But I hope that you engage in this in a different way. And I hope that we can repent of the ways that we have dishonored and been disobedient to those in authority over us. And we can be example to a watching world of our submission to government as an act of our love for God. Let's pray.